Welcome to Rodonomics Episode 2, a Draft Champions production. We're here at Derek Rhodes. Before we introduce him, let's talk about uh, Lucas Berry. You can find Lucas at B-I-E-R-Y-P-L-O-X-33. What's up, buddy? What's happening, Zach? So, um, I guess we'll introduce Derek, too, I guess, but at uh, D-R-H-O-A-3. And uh, you can find his website at jagfantasysports.com. Um, returning guest, which is, um, quite the feat on this podcast. Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm gonna be honest. I thought, I thought that maybe we bored too many people on the last one. We talked about a lot of, but you know, we're going to double down on that talking about an economics term here, but we talked a lot of accounting on the last podcast. Well, that's the whole point to bore the shit out of everyone and give them no fantasy advice at all. So, um, we can do that. I feel, I feel you're surprised. I'm I'm always surprised that people come on, come back to this. (laughs) this podcast at all like like aside from mike the mouth but um <laughs> um so yeah um lucas i want i want to get to your i want to get to the draft spreadsheet but i want to i want to talk to you, lucas and just get, give me give me a rundown of like tell us about your like fantasy like addiction to drafting in fantasy sports like, <laughs> I, I, like tell me about your issues like your problems like yeah so Definitely problematic, but I've been able to coax with it a little bit more with the draft and hold style. Um, unfortunately, I don't do best ball, so that's going to be a limiting conversation with Derek, but uh, I just prefer the draft and hold to feel like I have a little bit more control kind of over the situation. So I'm going to end up with about six or seven. Uh, so not as crazy as uh, yourself, but uh, yeah. In the NFBC? Um, so I did one in FBC in early November, and then I and then I had a bunch of like buddies with Fantrax stardom. So, you were the one that Graham was uh, Graham who was on our last show. I think you were in that same draft as him. Yes. Nice. So that draft is part of uh, Andrew McQuiston's uh, Rotomasters Dynasty. Essentially, it's it's a really low stakes draft. It's ten bucks, but. Uh, the winner gets 130, which will pay for the dynasty entry fee. Oh, nice! So, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's We're all idea. in the dynasty league together, so that's a neat idea, man. Well, again, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try and convince you to, to get some best balls before the end of, before the end of this um, three-hour <laughs> podcast. Just joking. Um, so um, about the best balls, not about the three hours. We're definitely going three hours. Yeah, exactly. What time is it now? Okay, it's, it's almost 10 o'clock Eastern, so it's about almost 9 o'clock your time, Derek. Oh, yeah, um, so I got at least three hours. Oh, shit. Okay, no. this is, <laughs> buckle up, boys. Let's do this. All right, so like, just to give a brief, brief um, just to give a brief um, um, summary of what we're going to talk about and to waste more time, I'm going uh, uh, to tell you that this is sort of our, our economics lesson today is going to be on marginal utility. Um, so we'll talk about that later, uh, save it for the end, but we'll get into some specific bias talks, uh, by some talking about biases on a specific player and get into, get into some listener questions. And I got a, a little treat, um, I guess a retort to, um, the robot segment in the, on the pull header podcast. So we'll, don't let me forget, don't let me forget, um, to talk about that. Um, so first things first, before I didn't mention this in the summary, but let's talk about the spreadsheet that, um, I got from Derek. It's it's honestly, it's a beast. I, I'm a firm believer with any kind of draft, uh, any drafting you're doing to have a strategy, to have an approach that you can repeat over multiple times. Now, everybody's different. Like, you know, uh, Matt Modica, he uses his graph paper. He's got his system. You know, uh, uh, the robot has system. Um, 
like for me, it's spreadsheets and I just feel like they help me keep organized. They help me stay on, on track. It's just, it's easy to repeat my process. And when you do best balls, people don't do one best ball. It's like, it's, it's not something you stop at one at. So like they're like Pringles. Yes. You just, you, the can's gone. Like that's just where, <laughs> that's where you end up. And so I've been using a tool for a while. So I thought, well, you know, I could, I could, this is something that I think other people would find value in. So what it is, it's kind of a combination of things. Um, I call it a draft dashboard, but really what it does is it's designed to track and manage and organize your draft as you're going through these best balls. Um, there's one for each of the kind of most popular formats, one for uh, the, the BB10 NFBC best ball format, and then there's another one for fan tracks. Um, it allows you to plug in your favorite projection system um, from fan graphs, or we just, uh, I just upgraded, you know, updated some formulas. So you could also work with uh, Baseball HQ, Masters Ball, or um, Smart Fantasy Baseball's aggregator. Projections in, it's gonna load up this big, I call it the big board. It's, it's just a listing of all the players, ranking them by their points and, the, and, uh, and how um, they split out amongst the positions. Uh, it gives you the ability to add custom projections if you disagree with a projection. Um, and then the big thing is as you're drafting, you can just copy and paste draft results into the spreadsheet and it will you know, it'll update the draft board, who's available, update your team, track kind of the rest of the teams as there as the draft is going on so it's a lot of info but the the goal is to make it so like you can kind of be on just this one page for all the info you need um, so that you're not constantly jumping around um, it's got links to if you want to jump to a certain player's fan graph page you can just drop down menu and it pulls it right up so you're not you know spending time going and searching for it stuff like that um, so there's a lot of a lot of little things that I've tried to build into it. Um, the the BB10 and NFBC one can actually add ADP, so you can see where players are going. Um, so there's a, that's a lot, but it, it's really cool. If that sounds like that's something that's in your alley, up your alley, it's five bucks. You can go check it out on jagfantasysports.com. Um, don't be overwhelmed if you're not a spreadsheet person. There's lots of user guide. There's a video user guide, uh, and I'm available. Uh, I promise I've had a lot of people who who've said they're not spreadsheet people who have found it, you know, they, it works just fine. They're able to figure their way around it. Uh, it's not too much. So tell um, the one that you sent me, I believe is the BB 10. Correct. Yeah. So tell everyone just um, because it, it's, it's not overwhelming at all because of the user guide, but um, if they don't, if, if they don't want to look at the user guide before they <laughs> make a decision, what, um, what information uh, do you need to populate this? So what, sure, what, ex sure. what, ex what what's the external yeah. information that you're going to need to yeah. put in? So the bare minimum that you have to have to get to, to get any use out of it is just projections. So that's like, so it's going to come blank. So you have to populate it with projections. Thankfully, Fangraphs is free. So any of the Fangraphs projections, you just download them, plug them into the spreadsheet and go. And you could stop there if you wanted to um, and just have a listing of players. Uh, but in order to get the other kind of added benefits is you just need to have draft results as the draft goes on. Um, you can do it manually. Like you could hand enter the players if that's something you want to do, or you can copy and paste the results from whatever um, site you're using, but that's it. That's all you need. I'd take care of making sure that the NFBC player names match up to the fan graphs, you know, IDs and all that kind of stuff, which if anybody's ever jumped into this, it's kind of one of the biggest hassles of this. Um, oh yeah, definitely. You see me ask questions on on Twitter about trying to trying to figure this all out, but you've done all the work here. Um, so you have to. What about ADP? Do you have to download the ADP? Oh yeah, ADP. You would have to download too. And again, that's, that's, that's a super. So pro yeah. projections ADP, and then bang, away you go. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, um, 
So Lucas, um, I know you, um, you, you'd given us some questions um, that you wanted to ask us that we'll get to soon, but um, I actually got some questions for you. So um, I know it's always, it's always good to hear feedback and, and I'm getting some really positive um, feedback from, from people that I've, that I've talked to. I'm sure there's negative feedback from people I don't talk to, but. Um, I'm willing to uh, give some right now, if you'd like. What's up? I'm ready. Go ahead. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, you're not ready. Okay. No, I wasn't no, at, no you're, I, I wanna, if you're I'm, ready that's for That's it. what I'm asking for. I'm asking yeah. for the negative feedback. So <laughs> I, want, I want Lucas to tell me, well, maybe it's not negative, but what, what, do, you, what do you want to hear more of or, or less of um, on this podcast? Or just less of me, not three hours of me. So we definitely need more Mike the Mouth. I think that's <laughs> Don't say that. You're just feeding into him. He won't hear it. It's fine. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> You're gonna, no, give me, I, you're, gonna, you're gonna you're gonna eventually make me have to pay for him. <laughs> he's been trying. He's been trying. He's been trying to uh, negotiate with his non-agent that he doesn't have um, to get uh, to get some um, get some money for this. So that that's one thing that we need more of. Yeah, I just think different variety of guests is always really good since your show explores a lot of different areas. Uh, having a lot of different types of people on is just gonna kind of allow. Uh, just a variety of topics. Who would you, if there's, if there's someone new that we haven't had mm -hmm. on, who would you, who would you, who would you, who's someone that you really think would be really interesting to have on? Uh, I would say Dave McDonald. He would be interesting to have on. You've had him on before. I've had, David, I've had Dave on last, last season though. I'm going to get him on again. Dave's probably, I love Dave. He's, um, I, I definitely want to have him back on. And I actually, yeah. I actually, I'd actually want to get Dave and Jake both on at once. They're such a great pair. Yeah. Um, outside he, of that, they seem to. His name seems to always come up even when he's not around. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so passionate. He's so passionate. He like he's so convicted. He's so convicted about things. I love it. And he's not afraid to. He's not afraid to say um, how he feels. And he doesn't care. Well, he doesn't care. He's, he's not gonna. He's not gonna not say something because he's afraid of how it's gonna come off. But I get him. Um, I I know how, I don't think I've ever had a problem with anything he said. But some people it seems like some people kind of do with uh, I guess some of the injury uh, the injury um, um, cautions. Uh, <laughs> but I get it. I get it. And he's one other guy. One other guy that I think would be interesting is uh, Ryan Venancio. He's been doing a startup draft for a dynasty league. So that would be a topic that I haven't heard you talk about much, even though I heard you talk about how people kind of hit you up for dynasty trades and uh, I couldn't believe how many leagues you were in, but, uh, but yeah, I've kind of heard you dive into that just a little bit, but just the very tip of the iceberg. Yeah. 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 No, I think I, the thing is like this, this podcast is, is um, designed to be like a niche podcast for the high stakes and draft champions specifically, but then it, it's okay if we can branch out a bit, but dynasty I've sort of steered away from it, even though that's, sort of been my passion to start with, mm -hmm. uh, but I have steered away from it. Um, so, um, also I did, I, like, um, I did, um, I did creep your profile a little bit, um, uh, recently. And I saw you did post your top, I think a hundred pictures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I like your list. It's funny this year that like, um, I feel that, um, this year everyone's more, um, I guess, less less diverged on the top i'd say 15 pitchers i think there's a there's a lot of consensus this year on like the top uh, on the first say 15 20 pitchers more so than ever i feel what do you guys think i agree yeah i don't disagree either yeah i think that i think you're right just a little just a little sidebar on that but i looked at yours and i, I like your list a lot i agree with a lot of your list and i see like um 
you're you're down on guys like Lamette, um, like a lot of people are, and I think you've you've taken like back to um, the Dave McDonald school, which I'm I, I'm happy to have um, learned from over the last year just from talking to him. Is just um, risk assessment is a big thing when when uh, when assessing players, and I think you've taken you've done a good job doing that. Um, however, one and not to say not to say you're wrong about this, but just to say that I differ. Um, my opinion differs is McCullers. Um, I feel that you, you've ranked him quite high um, and he does carry that element of risk. So uh, yeah, so it, it just sort of, it's a diverging, um, diverges from what I've seen from the ranking of other sort of, I guess, quote unquote, riskier players. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Um, outside of Darvish, I have been fairly avoiding of, of guys that I think could potentially get hurt. Um, but with McCullers, I just think, He's in a bit of a dead zone for value, kind of that tier six that I have on my ranks. It's if the guys fall a little bit, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite interested in them, but um, he's he's in that top of the tier seven, and I just think that the guys that are going around him, I just think that his upside is a little bit more tangible. I think in Houston, uh, they're going to give him the reins and kind of let him go as much as he can. Obviously, definitely carry some risk, kind of like you said, but. Um, yeah, that's kind of the the first part where I'm I'm ready to take a little bit more of a risk with McCullers. So I'm looking at it. We're ranking right now. I'm trying to find McCullers. Um, 41. 41. That, 41. That's an area of the draft I I don't like shopping in because yes. I do agree. I do think there is like this kind of like you get to this certain point where it's like oof, where it's just like your risk. The risk kind of just changes. I mean, like that group of guys he's with. It's like I don't. I don't feel great about very many of those names right there. I kind of like, like that area. I'm, I, 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 I kind of like you have, you have a strong – I feel like you have a pretty strong risk appetite, though, like as far as like um, – I'm not sure. I don't want to say like not injury risk necessarily, but like uh, like skills risk. Like yeah. guys who are like – like who are like – who have shown, who have flashed something, but maybe they – like we don't know if they own it yet. Like, yeah, and maybe that's my, and you know what, that's what I'm going to talk about that in one of Lucas's questions. And it, it, I think that's one of my weaknesses, actually, that um, it could be, it could be a strength or weakness, but I, right, think, yeah. I think it's something that um, I need to maybe moderate a little bit. And that's, that's something that de- definitely did deter me from, from uh, doing as well as I could have done last year. But yeah. Um, like in, in that like range, like I, maybe I just maybe it is just the way my appetite is for that risk. But I like a lot of guys like there. I like I like um, I like Ian Anderson. I like Pablo Lopez. I I, I like um, Gosman. Um, he's a bit of, he's a little bit ahead of him. But I guess yeah. if you're looking at that tier nine, like Soroka is a guy that you probably remember and that I that I like and you know, Julio Urias. Um, I I don't um, I don't stay away from those guys. I agree there, and definitely there's a lot of good names. I mean, you kind of mentioned a few guys in the tier above him where I do think that he is kind of the drop-off going from a Lizardo, Pablo Lopez, Ian Anderson, all the way down to McCullers. I think that's a distinct kind of downgrade. Um, but with McCullers, like I said, I just think that this is the opportunity where Houston's, uh, you know, they're going to need some innings out of him versus Urias. They can continue to baby off of a weird season. Uh, and the same thing with Soroka coming off of a – blown out Achilles so I just think that McCullers is going to have the workload and kind of diving into him a little bit more surprisingly he's posted some incredible peripherals he's always been a low home run kind of guy and I do think he could uptick with more K's I would take McCullers over Lazardo actually I think the innings will probably be I mean I'd project him for pretty similar innings personally 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, Miss McCullough would have to hate, like, and you got Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker gives me a little bit of a little bit, little bit more confidence, and he's just going to ruin McCullough's arm and for the future. And um, he could part of, he could throw some more innings. Part of my thing, I was trying to pull this up. Part of my thing with McCullough is like I don't feel like they've babied him as much as like he just hasn't been healthy. Like, yeah, I, right. I feel like there's a difference between them limiting him and him limiting himself. And like, uh, if I can just plug for a second, uh, the injury. Uh, timeline tool is a great place to look at a picture like this, um, which is just a way to see their injury history. And like his is, is littered with stuff. It's every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just what I, when I think of Lance is like, yeah, like I, I'd probably throw him, you know, I think he's good when he pitches, you know, and like you said, like he's throwing up some really good peripherals. I think he made some adjustments. They were talking about on the pitcher list podcast. Like I think there's, there's talent there to like, there's no question about it. I worry about his ability to stay on the field. You know, yeah, I, but, I think I heard the pitchers list. I think it was Alex Fast, and I've mentioned this. Talk yeah. about if you just take away his one bad start, and I went into a whole. I think maybe I don't know. Maybe you were on the podcast when I when I was talking about that, Derek. Um, but I basically said that that adds like every year with him. He always has those clunkers. He's a very mm-hmm. inconsistent guy. So taking away that one start sort of just it's it's sort of um, ignoring what type of pitcher he is. And I saw that Bloomfield also um, posted that like the Mulligan thing. The Mulligan yeah. chart, which is essentially the same thing, which yeah. is essentially the same concept with what Alex Fast was talking about when he said take away that one start that McCullers did. And um, relating that back to rotonomics, I, I feel that's like a bias in and of itself. It's like you're just it, – it, it's what kind of bias would that be? That would be like a – It's a selection, like, I guess. Is it selection bias? I don't know. Like, confirmation bias? You only want to – Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. Sort of a type of confirmation bias. Yeah. It's sort of like a bias. So I think you got to be careful in fantasy to – to not let those biases creep up, creep up on you. And it is a valid, it's definitely a valid concept, but um, I think if you. I think it's more valid in 2020 than it is in normal seasons, just because they didn't have the time to normalize. Like, you know, it's like you have 55 innings versus a normal season of his is like 120, 100, yeah, 120. Those, those <laughs> like, bumps are bumpier. Yeah. Yeah. Those bumps are bumpier in 2020. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, it was a cool list. I guess we can, we can, we can, get lost in all these rabbit holes um, dissecting your top 100, but we can maybe do that later. Um, uh, I, I just can't, I, I can't not mention Madison Bumgarner on there though. <laughs> in your top yeah. 100. Get him out of there. Well, he was pitching hurt. So I do think that that's certainly going to influence his numbers. I don't think he's going to do anything sexy, but in the types of leagues I play in, such as draft and hold, I do think he's got an opportunity to hover around four ERA and more importantly, go deeper into games to qualify for decisions. Wait a second. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back on you for a second there. You don't think bull riding sexy? <laughs> not, uh, <laughs> not with most people. No, not many people are a fan of bum garner. So. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Um, all right. So um, one thing that I said, we're going to talk about, and um, there's been a little bit of um, talk about, um, Arenado recently and it just it sparked it sparked me to thinking like if 2020 was erased and like 2019 just jumped right into 2021 would Arenado be still be a first round pick or close to a first round pick was he a first round pick in 2020 um in 2020 I don't yeah. I think he was he's second right like I feel like that was a big thing is like he'd fallen maybe out one two turn but I don't okay. think he really lasted okay. much further than the middle of the second okay so let's just call it, yeah, like a first yeah. to mid-second round pick. Sure. Would, he, would he still be there? I'd say no. 
Um, and just I'd cite the, the obvious things that starting pitchers are getting pushed up in stolen bases are just important. And I guess we're really focusing on roto leagues here and not and it's sort of out of the points. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Definitely out of the fangraphs format. Um, but yeah, this is like um, what I'm what I'm referring to is your draft and hold uh, main events NFBC. Like I just think that it's just the landscape would would, would I was never taking him anyways, even in 2019. But um, what do you what do you, what are your thoughts on that, um, Lucas? Do you have anything any thoughts on that? On Arnauto stock for 2021? Yeah, he didn't have 2020, which was sort of a down season for him. Do you think he'd, like where would you be taking where would you guys be taking him in 2021 if you didn't have any hindsight of his his sort of um, down quote unquote down 2020? So if he posted a traditional Arnauto season, uh, I certainly think that he would be in the mix in round two. I know for a lot of guys, like Dave McDonald kind of mentioned him again, he is out for no steals. But if you do look at the end of the second round, the hitters are not as sexy as they usually are. Uh, you're looking at a DJ LeMahieu at times. Some people aren't as sold on Kyle Tucker. Ozzy Albies, he kind of does a little bit of everything but doesn't stand out. Bogarts sometimes goes in that range too. So I think just getting a rock like Arenado with the benefit of cores in the second round – it would depend on my build and who I was kind of going after in the draft slot. But I think that's where he would go if he put up a, a typical Nolan season. Right on. Derek? Yeah, I, I do think – I think it was uh, Rob Silver who made the point, like, someone has to fall. Like, if everything else is being pushed up, like, someone has to be pushed down. And I do think Nolan is the is – the, like, he has the profile that's going to be pushed down. Mm. Um, like – you have the impact week to week, of course, right? Like, you know, and he's a great player. Like, you know, he's going to be good, you know, either way. But the, but the relativeness of that, of that good does change depending on if he's at home or away that week. And, like, you know, I think that matters when you're talking, like, is that really something you want to think about in your early round picks? Like, the things that he does for you if you're, you're getting, like, you know, that's coming in waves as opposed to all, you know, consistently. But, like, I do think that some of it is just the, the market itself is driving up other things more than it is Nolan Arenado being pushed down because people don't like think he's going to like bounce back from really an aberration of the season. Like I'm sure there's some people who are not sold on the shoulder, but like, I think most people are, you know, you just run a projection. It's like, well, no, it's Nolan Arenado. Like you're going to project him, you know, like he was one of the steadiest guys to project, you know, year after year. I expect him to bounce back pretty close to that. But I do think no matter what, even without the horrid season, you know, the horrible injury stuff from last year, like I think that the market is just going to push him down. Yeah. I think another thing is that you've seen his ceiling already. So Mm -hmm. like in terms of the range of outcomes, you know that you're not going to get better than before. And I think that's sort of a psychological thing as well. For me, I don't don't think he's a guy like just, I don't think he's a guy I take even in the second round, just because of the other options that like you got, Machado, who's like going around, obviously going before him, but now, but you got the guys like um, Rendon is an example, and there's other, there's other, there's other corner infielders that, um, um, and other play, like other infielders that are going like in that range that I'd prefer, or that you can wait on, and you'd be sort of indifferent. Um, so one of the guys, one of the one of the players that that I thought was interesting to compare was Corey Seager to Arenado because they're sort of diverging players. Corey Seager's trending up. Arenado's trending down in terms of the market and their value, um, their perceived value in the market. Um, so, um, 
I wanted to, I wanted to sort of compare them and, 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 and it got me thinking about some of the biases that, that you, that you come across when, when you, when you compare both of those players. So one of them is like health, health and tr- health and like performance. So like the track, your, your performance track record. And this is, this is a combination of regret, aversion bias and um, recency bias. I'll roll them to one because recency, Corey Seager, good or not a bad, but then also regret aversion could be both like both of them have that because they both have been injured at different points, but like the injury is more recent for Arenado. So that would put maybe point some people to be drafting Seager. And uh, for me, it's, um, um, well, I'll get to that third, but the, um, I'll, I'll say the, um, the second thing is the ambiguity, ambiguity bias, ambiguity bias, which Derek, you've, you've um, alluded to is the trade. So, People tend not to draft a player when you don't know what the true outcome is going to be. So you'd rather have a known commodity in terms of Kyle Seager being on the Dodgers most likely. So there's some ambiguity bias that would push Arenado down. Um, for, but for me, a lot um, has to do with the positional bias. And I think that the short, like I think I'd much rather be getting a shortstop at that point in the draft than a third baseman because I think the 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 talent level for shortstop um, during the first um, I guess fifty or so pitch picks drops off really quickly. So I think after the the top ten shortstops are all bunched up into the first fifty picks, whereas third base it's more of a level decline, and you can get more you can get third baseman maybe your I think your tenth best shortstop is going to be gone in after pick fifty, close to the end of the fourth or fifth round, whereas uh, third baseman that tenth best tenth tenth best third baseman could be in around pick one hundred. And I'll ask both of you who you got between the two of them and um, any comments on what I just said. You can go either way. Um, I, I think the way I've been drafting, I've probably taken Nolan more than I have Seager. Um, some of that's going to be format-based, I think, to some extent, because uh, course, course is actually beneficial <laughs> in best ball, uh, where I think it is – where I don't have to worry about the scheduling stuff. It just, it just plays out. Like, it, it handles automatically. Um, I do like think that, Marquez. I think yeah, that. right. Exactly. Yeah. But one, one thing I do think I like what you said, um, Seager, I think there's this, this idea that Corey Seager has been really injury prone. Now, if you look back, like he's had a couple issues that just kind of lingered and then they got addressed. Like, I don't think he's been as injury prone as people, like people think. And from an injury standpoint, He's certainly, in my opinion, a little – I would more comfortable with his injury situation coming into the next year than Nolan Arenado's, which I think still is kind of lingering. Like, we don't know. He didn't have surgery on that shoulder. Like, I think there's some uncertainty about what, what's happening. So, like, um, I feel like he may have talked me into Seager. I, yeah, I'm not really targeting either of them per se. Yeah. Um, I've gotten – I have some shares of Seager, maybe one or two, but I have none of, I have none of Arenado. Yeah. Lucas, what about you? Uh, personally, like you guys said, I'm not necessarily targeting either, mm-hmm. um, but I would much rather have Arenado. I do think the Coors effect is serious. This is a guy that over the balance of his career has always been triple digits, runs and ribbies. He's hovered, so between, he's hovered between a 294 and a 315, and then you get a 50-game sample where he has a, a bum shoulder that's supposed mm-hmm. to Come healthy. That's kind of an if, I know, but you're getting a discount for that. Mm-hmm. Factor in the idea that I'm looking to add steals at shortstop and middle infield, and that's a tougher pill to swallow to get very minimal steals there from Seager. While at third base, you're not expecting anything anyways unless you draft 
Jose yes. Ramirez or, or Cabrian Hayes. Good point. That's a really so, good point. Yeah, that's that, and I just feel so much better with Arenado. I mean, Seager's track record, he might have hit a new level and he might be a new man this year, but I just I feel much com- more comfortable with Nolan. It's a good point. That's injury. the best counterpoint I've heard. All right. Can, uh, I, can I break news for a second? I don't know if this is relevant, but it was just like uh, Alex Wood just signed a deal. Did that? that did, is you, did you see that? Where did he Alex, sign? Uh, the Giants. I think somebody predicted that. That's, it seems like they're super interested in, in buying broken pitchers and fixing them. That seems like something yeah. that they're like they're about. Don't you t- don't you call Gosman broken? <laughs> well, I was thinking more <laughs> Anthony De Stefani. Like, I actually haven't been able to get Gosman. As much as I like him, I think Gosman's price is just too high now. Oh, it's crazy high. I'm I'm in a draft right now with Phil Dassault. Uh, he loves it. One. Uh, the one the, one of the 150s. He, he drafted yeah. Gosman. I know he won't mind because he's he, he's been on podcast talking about how mm-hmm. much he likes him and. Um, I thought about it. I'm drafting next to him. I thought about grabbing him because I, I, I'm like, he's probably going to grab him here. Where uh, is it at? But, but I'm like, I just, it, I just, I just couldn't at that point. Just given my team, I already, I already had, I already have some. I already was pretty strong in pitching. So was it right around well, 100? Was it? In, in no, time? it was. Um, uh, it was. It was after 100. Okay. It wasn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't too much after 100? Okay. I, I well, have, Zach, kind of going off of some of your theories that you've come up with here and displaced on the pod. I do feel thinking looking at Gossman's profile, the fact that the name Kevin Gaussman is right next to it makes me worried a little bit. But and I know you, you might not be a fan of Jose Barrios, but that's a guy that everyone expected to, to be really good. So if it was Jose Barrios that kind of had Gosman's numbers, maybe people would be a little bit more apt to buy in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. But I think you've seen we've seen Gosman fail a lot and um even he he did it. He did flash some good peripherals in 2019, but mm-hmm. that uh, that needs to be taken with a grain of salt as well because of how because of what his usage was. I think a lot of that was in the bullpen. I think somebody yep. somebody corrupted me on that. So yeah, um, it's it's very much like he's very much untested right now. Yeah, it's an exciting 60 innings of starting work. Like right, like like that's what we, like that's really the sample we're going off of him is is his 60 innings starting in 2020. And even then it wasn't exactly like, you know, um, but he is in a good situation. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard not to, not to like what's there. Yeah. And and there is a lot to be said about leaving the Orioles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. That's it. And you're seeing that with Bundy too, but you never know if Bundy could be that um, uh, working with those spin doctors. Yeah, I hate the kind of lazy analysis like that, but the, I mean that's just going from, you know, AL Coors to, you know, he's in the pitcher's haven now, depending on whether or not they have the uh, the wind tunnels. But we'll see. All right, so you want to get to some um, mailbag? That's the whole purpose of this. Uh, the whole purpose of this uh, concept. So you asked us some questions. You want to get to some of the questions? Questions? <laughs> uh, you want to get to some questions? Sure. Let's uh, let's dive in here. All right. Um, why don't we go one one me one Derek? Rotate okay. back and forth. Alrighty. Let me get her pulled up here. So yeah, you can pull them up and just fire away. Alrighty. So kind of surrounding the the big theme of your podcast here. Uh, curious, uh, what your biggest weakness is for draft and hold leagues? Um, okay. So we we sort of touched that. I touched on it a little bit already. Um, 
but I'd say one prospects. So I'm a dynasty guy. As some people might not have known uh, that just li- that didn't know me and just listened to the podcast, but I'm in a lot of dynasty leagues. Um, so um, I've um, I know I know the dynasty. I know the the prospect pool pretty well. I'd say um, not as good as like the the prospect guys you see on Twitter, like, like the Eric crosses or whatever you have, have you, right. I don't, I'm not that in tune, but I, but I think I'm probably more in tune than the average drafter in these, uh, um, in these leagues and with respect to prospects. Um, so, um, a lot of these DCs you draft from, you're, you're drafting for the upside in these overall contests. And I think that's, I think upside's a word that I need to take out of my fantasy vocabulary along with, um, hope and should, um, all those three words got to go because I should really replace upside with a range of outcomes. So oftentimes you forget the, like the plate appearances that you're going to miss um, when you're waiting for prospects or just waiting for any upside. It doesn't have to be prospects. And sometimes it, it, I've learned like last year being my first year in NFBC that it's really difficult to recover from that. So um, I think when I was in these drafts, like in, in Mike DeMouth, uh, with Mike DeMouth, one of the things he did tell me that, that, that I remember was, He's like, what are you doing? You drafted a dynasty team here? And I'm like, <laughs> well, like, this is draft and hold. You've got all these roster spots, but you need those, right? So that's, that's, that's part of the learning curve for me. I've had that problem too about two years ago. I was kind of loading up on the prospects because it's just so kind of sexy to do so. There's so much excitement, but I try to limit that to maybe three to, to five per league. Uh, but going over to Rhodes here for the next question. Um, as far as best ball, uh, do you usually go for players with more variance or maybe a wider range of outcomes in best ball leagues than you would in a normal rotisserie setup? So I, I think it, it does depend a little bit on the format. I think, you know, draft and hold versus like a, you know, maybe a, you know, main event style league with a shorter roster or something like that. But, but generally speaking, I actually want less variance instead of more. Um, so baseball season has so much variance in it already with, you know, like number of games, you know, you get your scheduling benefits, you get your uh, home park benefit maybe, or, you know, you just get a run against uh, bad pitchers. Like, so I'd rather have guys who maybe are a little less, like their ceilings are a little less, but they're going to be consistent performers. Um, so a lot of the times that means like good OBP guys, guys who are getting on base, just kind of getting in the mat, the mix, um, which is interesting because not all formats, especially in best ball reward OBP. Like some of them are, are, are more like the ones on NFBC are more, they're, they're designed to um, match the Roto style scoring. Um, so like that for me, that means I rarely am getting like uh Mondesi. Like he's a great guy, right? He's, his ceiling is like sky high, but his, you know, his range in a given week is, is crazy is much. I feel like the, the, the floor is much, you know, lower in a given week. And I'd rather just have a more of a steady Eddie, you know, and get the benefits of the season as they come. Awesome. That's a, that's a great answer. I think a lot of times people, I'm guessing they, they kind of look at best ball and they shoot for the moon probably more often than they should. Absolutely. Especially in like 12 team leagues where it's like, you don't have to beat, you know, it's not cut line. You know, if you're in cut line, it's an overall contest. Maybe you shoot for the moon, but like the 12 team league, you only have to beat 11 other owners. Like you don't need to, you don't need to go nuts. I would imagine people probably underestimate their injuries they're going to get. So whenever they take mm-hmm. these prospects, it kind of screws them. Yeah. All right. Next question here for Zach. Um, who are some players that uh, might've burned fantasy managers in the past uh, that this year, particularly coming up 2021, you're happy to take at their discounted price. 
All right, um, I got a list here. I have a couple names for you. One would be um, Altuve. Um, I think that um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't buy into the fact that his speed's gone. I've seen that um, if you look at his bursts on um, on Statcast, he had quite a lot of them. Um, so I think the speed is there, and I think, um, like I said, it's a, it, it, to he was. Um, I think he was a victim of a small sample size. I think he's still a great player. Um, he's still younger than Starling Marte. So in terms of stolen bases, um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect him to to um, eclipse Marte in, in that category. But still, I think it gives me some some reason to expect that there could be some turnaround there. It's not going to be. I don't. I don't see it as a like a um, a steady decline um, with, with respect to that. And he did have a good showing in the playoffs. I think. Um, I think um, you phrased your question for their price um gary sanchez this year i think i think i could buy into him and i've talked about that a bit at his price around two i got i got him past 200 if the price is right on him then um in these draft and hold leagues with two catchers um i believe that um even if he even if he is limited in playing time that does help you if he's going to burn you the average the average is not going to burn you as much if he's not going to have as many plate appearances but i think you could still go for um a decent amount of home runs and RBIs um, with respect relative to some of the other catchers. Um, some of the deeper guys that have sort of fallen off um, from last year, from what their ADP was last year, that I'll, that I'll, that I'm willing to take a chance um, based on, I won't say upside, but their range of outcomes are Abisail Garcia, Sam Hilliard and Kingery. Um, those are guys that I was on last year that I can, um, that I could stomach dipping back into past pick 400 ish. Um, a later pitcher, Spencer Howard. I'm not thrilled about the, the risk of his injury and, and some of the innings. So I'm not getting a lot of him, but if he if he falls to a point where I'm comfortable with, um, um, I, I'll take him. In the draft I'm in right now in the best ball, NFBC best ball, he was taken around pick 300, which I'm not comfortable with. I think that was too early, but if he falls a little bit later than that, I am comfortable with him. And then another pitcher that I think got a little bit unlucky in the small sample size, and I think he does have the skills, um, is Frankie Montas. Um, I'm willing to take a shot on him. Um, so yeah, that's what I, I like that one. I like Frankie Montas too. I think that's a, I think that's a nice, nice little discount we're getting on him. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think I've got him yet though, <laughs> but I'm, I've I'm, got a few shares. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's good to hear that you like uh, Montas. I've, I've gotten a little bit of exposure too, but I also didn't go crazy just because what if he is a dud, but uh, I hear you. Um, Derek, as far as uh, overexposure, kind of like I was referring to with Montas, with some of your players in the early rounds, how do you kind of balance that overexposure uh, as opposed to the late rounds with the early and the late rounds? So I definitely, you know, I think, I think my approach, and, and this is probably different for everybody, and I think it does, de- does depend on how many drafts you do. Um, I do a lot, like I'll have like a hundred, hundred and some change best balls. And so when you do that many, I think exposure is a big, like a big thing that you're concerned about. Um, and so I kind of have like a sliding scale. So the earlier, the, the earlier, the round, you know, the, the more varied I want my exposure to be, but there's still going to be guys will have zero, zero of no matter what. Um, but then as you get later, so like earlier, uh, when, like for instance, in the first, first round in best ball, you should be like 
the three aces should be going off the board in the first round at, at minimum. And at least in fan tracks, it's a little, I think a little more touch and go over it in FPC. But because of that, I really try and vary my ownership of those three guys. I don't want to be, I don't want to have like 50% of one of them. I'd, I'd rather have 33% of all. And I'll be, and if I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. Cause I don't want that Tommy John injury, you know, from a first round pick. And then all of a sudden, you know, cause that can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter how healthy you've been. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, but as we get into the later rounds, then I kind of let it expand up to about 50%. So for, you know, you get after about pick 20, I'll start letting that creep up to like 50% for some of the pitchers. I do worry about it a lot more than pitchers than hitters. Hitters, it's not something I think about a whole lot. I try and, um, I think we, we have, we're better at projecting hitters. Like there's been studies that have shown that. And in general, their injuries are going to be less likely to be catastrophic. Like they're, you know, they're going to be back at some point this season. Um, so I don't worry as much about exposure to, to hitters. Like it's got to get up in there like the 70%. And then I'm like, well, like Andrew McCutcheon was a guy I had a lot last year. And thankfully the, the pause on the season actually saved my bacon on that. Cause yeah. <laughs> like, it was, it was looking ugly at one point. Um, but that's kind of my approach. Um, and you know, Zach, is that something you think about when you're doing your DCs? Like, are, are you? Yeah, it is. Um, uh, in fact, in fact, I have one player that I have 100% ownership of. In, in across you want across, 100% ownership. 100% across 17 oh. NFBC leagues and um, a couple of fan tracks leagues, probably like five fan tracks leagues. I think I know who it is. Ryland Bannon. No, it's not. I don't have any, <laughs> I don't, I don't have any of him. Actually, I think I might have one of him. Um, <laughs> I, he's just a guy that, um, it's, that no one's on. But um, yeah. no, it's a guy that's it's he's a little he's a guy that I've been taking. Uh, I was actually taking a little bit earlier in the three hundred. Yeah, if you were in if in the, in the drafts we're in together, I'm gonna have to go dig. I'm gonna go find it. <laughs> probably, yeah, you're probably able to find him. He's a, he's a hitter. He's a hitter. Yeah. But um, to your question, also, like I think it's something I'm I'm actually very conscious of, like in the early rounds in, for pitchers. Like for for example, um, in round two, when selecting a, if I'm going for a pitcher in round two, I'm looking at guys like Nola, Giolito, and Castillo, and um, despite um, Despite who I actually, despite who I actually, um, if you put a gun to my head, who who would you take um, if you're only in one league? I will actually go and grab like um, a Giolito because I know that I won't have a chance to get him as much. Um, I won't have I won't have as much of a chance to get him in other drafts because I think, in terms of the market, he's going first. So regardless if I like, regardless of whether or not I like him the most, I'll sometimes just grab him if I'm if I'm earlier in if he's available because I know I want to have a portfolio of say 33% or say I want 50% Castillo 25% Nola 25% Giolito even if I don't like Giolito the most sometimes I'll just grab him um, when they're all there because I know he's going to be the most difficult to get um, to fill up my portfolio for as far as we've kind of hit the dynasty topic over and over uh, tonight but as far as uh, looking for under the radar prospects in dynasty um, what are you kind of looking for for those guys before they get more popular uh, on some of the lists that you see? Right. Um, so this year it's hard because there obviously, you know why it was hard. Um, but for me, there, there, there's two types of guys, uh, two types of guys I'm looking for. And when I'm, when I'm in these dynasty leagues, type one is like the Reese Hoskins type. So he's like the out of nowhere guy. And you got to be really on top of the ML and the, the minor league stats um, like the, in the first little while of the season. So you just go and see what stats are jumping off the page. So um, it's not often times that not often times that, uh, that you'll see news come out um, or blurbs about these minor leaguers 
even like the writers and analysts are sometimes late to the game. So you got to take a shot sometimes just based on stats um, uh, in the minor leagues and just hope it sticks because you got to just, sometimes it's just a numbers game. And uh, Mm -hmm. if you're playing in these deeper leagues that you can just, you need to just grab the, you can't wait. Um, So uh, you've seen Pete Alonso, like I said, Hoskins, Franimal, Aquino, um, a Rosarina this year. Um, Just, um, I picked up, countless of those guys, like countless of those guys just for nothing because I'm just, you just got to be quick. You got to be quick to the draw. Um, number two is like the Christian Robinson type. Um, he's the guy I drafted. Like in a, I was in a super deep league. I was drafted in a 50, it was 50 rounds and 30 teams or it was 50 or a hundred rounds. Anyways, I drafted him in the one thousands, I think back in 2018 or 17. Um, the year he was the, the year he just came out of the international draft class. So I think when you're, when you're in those stage of the dynasties, it's all about the, I'll say it upside, um, but I'll take the unknown international guy over some of the most like almost replaceable, almost replaceable known commodities like a like a horn a horner, um, and sometimes you'll whiff like on the Lindor and Cabrian Hayes guys were like they're they're sort of like the they're they're more on the higher end than like a horner, but like they're more of like a, a defense first known commodity, and those are guys like in my style I've whiffed on both of those guys like Lindor and Hayes like I was off, I'm off of them, but. Um, like those two cases, those are two, I guess, rarer cases where, where you'll get burned in dynasty leagues on those type of guys. Um, and I guess this is not a type of guy, but this year, given the fact that there's like nothing to really go off of, like I'm just looking at like looking for news, what what managers are talking about, um, just like some of the, the minor league, like um, the blogs, the minor league blogs. And I'm also looking at like YouTube videos of SimCity. And I'll tell you offline, this is a guy I really like, and I'm, I'm drafting him in, in some leagues. And um, uh, Derek probably he might be able to figure him out. I've, I've, I've limited limited exposure to him um, in some of these best balls, but I'm more in, in on him in the in the DCs. Um, uh, that I think he's just killing it. He just killed it in Sin City, and um, uh, I'm pretty excited for him this year if he if he can get a role. I actually I, I only play two dynasty leagues, and they're not the deepest. Uh, you're, you're talking like 600 players, something like that total. Um, but one thing I always enjoy is something that Fangraphs does. They do like a – so, all right, the top 100, okay, that's fine. That's You can obviously ignore that because, you know, those guys are going to be drafted. But they'll do like the, like, you know, guys that we think are two years out. And I always like to look at, like, um, not the sexy guys because everybody, again, is, they're going to know those guys. But kind of like, hey, like relievers who, if they make one change, like – you know, could be something. I, I, I enjoy kind of taking a gamble on that, you know, just see what happens over a year and, you know, you let it go if it, if, if something doesn't work out. Um, I also think I tend to be in on the defensive first guys mm-hmm. because depending on the type, depending on who you have in your league, I think this all depends on kind of the sophistication of the, of the league. You can sometimes flip those guys um, before they, you know, before they get too far up into the minors, just because they're, they're on lists. Like, you know, the, they're getting talked about and it's like, it doesn't, you know, like it doesn't matter, you know, for fantasy purposes, but they'll make lists and people who don't maybe do all the research will, um, you know, they'll overpay for something like that. Um, so sometimes it, you, you kind of kind of have to know your league to know if that's really going to work. You know, if everybody's really sophisticated, that, that may not be, that may not fly. Absolutely. And I know since you don't play as deep of leagues, this might not be as beneficial for you, but Honestly, one other thing that I do is as soon as a guy starts getting playing time in my super deep leagues, I'll just pick guys up. Uh, about two or three years ago, I did that and ended up with Dejong just because he was getting playing time. And it's like, 
I'm going to kind of protect him while he's on my roster. And I had a lot of guys like uh, Gift Nagope and, you know, just a bunch of duds. But, you know, if it sure. hits for, for three, four dudes over the balance of a few years, it's okay. So like, don't wait to see if they're good. Just pick them up and just see what happens. Yes. I'll look at, I'll look at all kind of stats in the minor leagues and I'll go deep, deep into the low levels. And one of the guys that uh, I hit on in that deep, deep league was McNeil. And he, in, sure. he wasn't even drafted in, in, I think, what was it? Like it was, it was 30 teams and I think it was 50 rounds or maybe a hundred rounds. He was undrafted that year. And I picked him up off a of free agent, a free agency. I think he was like, I think I saw his stats in like low A or something like that. I think it was low A and he had mm-hmm. more walks and strikeouts. So mm-hmm. I just looked at this walk strikeouts. I'm like, no, whatever, like deep enough that like he's free. So I'll, I'll just grab him. And he turned out really, he turned out to be really a good pickup for me. Ended up trading him. But um, that, was, that, was one, that was one of the other, um, one of the other examples I can think of. I think one other thing that might not be a huge advantage since we all watch games probably every night, but I think just simply watching the games is so beneficial guys can just stand out so much more. Like for example, this shortened season, I was able to pick up Devin Williams and four out of my six dynasties, just because I saw his pitches. I saw the 99 and I was just like, okay, I'm getting this guy everywhere. And now I'm kind of holding on to a little bit of a gem. So just watching those games is crucial. He came out of nowhere this year. He was, um, and I'm, I'm in one of those prospects live dynasty five-year things. Mm-hmm. And he was, he's still on the waiver wire in my league. So like this year's draft will probably be the first pick. How long are the, how long are those drafts? Those the, the, in each year now? Uh, like how many players? Yeah. How many, well, I know like you guys do, it is like a short draft now each year. Oh right? yeah. So I think um, it might like be five like rounds. five, five okay. rounds. I think it is. It's any player, not just first year players, right? You can you can pick any available player. Yeah, you can pick any available okay. players. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I did one of them last year. I don't think I, I don't think I'd do another one. I think I just did it. It was just a, whatever. It was just something to, just something to do. I don't think I, I don't think I'd get into them too much. It was just whatever. But it was it's all right. It's, it's, it's different. All righty here. So for the last question uh, for Derek. Um, as far as your pitching staff and your best balls uh, with your mid rotation to late rotation targets, I know you can either kind of go high upside or, or kind of more secure innings. Uh, you're going to look for both with different builds and depending on the stage of the draft, but uh, kind of what are you looking for whenever you're looking for either a high upside arm or, or potentially just looking to fill some innings? So I, I think this, uh, maybe it sounds too simple, but the biggest thing is like, I want guys with jobs. So like, um, you know, it's okay if they're upside guys, but like they have to have a secure job if the upside doesn't, doesn't hit. So like a good example is like Freddie Peralta, like I'm drafting Freddie Peralta, hoping that he does a Corbin Burns, right? Like, that, you know, maybe not, obviously not that ceiling, but like he ends up looking, you know, into the rotation, locking down a bigger role than what he's got right now. But even if he doesn't do that, like he has a job right now that can be valuable in, you know, in later in your drafts. And so like, I'm looking at those type of players, um, and some of those guys are scrubs who are at the back end of bad rotations. Um, you know, guys who are at the back end of that, uh, Tigers rotation, um, guys who are at the back end of the Royals rotation. Like, you know, I, I want those jobs cause I feel secure in those innings. Um, it's okay if they have some upside. Um, but I will not be the guy who drafts prospects. Um, like I, I have not drafted a single, 
pitching prospect. I think I have some, some Kirilov shares on the hitting side, but um, I just, just because I think that the, the chance of them panning out are just too low. Uh, so I'd rather take the, the much lower quality arm who I know has a job. Um, I don't know if that, um, I mean, I think, you know, what I'm just trying to do is control my floor um, and make sure that the guys, even in round 39 and 40, are still giving me something. I don't want them to be giving me zeros. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and there's, again, one of the things I did last year is pitching prospects or like young pitchers. Just uh, where, where, you're, where I drafted them in the 200s, you can't do – I don't think you can do that. I won't do that. I won't even, I won't even take Mackenzie Gore this year um, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the most part just because of that same reason, even though like now he's got to be up this year, right, because he didn't come up no, last they have, they have so many bodies though. Like they have guys that they could just throw at it. Like even yeah. you know, now, you know, they've got the aces at the top and it's like now it's just like we're just going to throw bodies. I'll still, I'll still go for the prospects in these, in these DCs, but just um, I'll make sure I'm getting them later. Like I don't mind taking like five or six, like in the 40s and 50s, if, if they're guys that I'm pretty confident should, well, should is another word that I said I wasn't going to use, but if, they, if there's a pretty good chance that uh, it makes sense that they, they should be getting some playing time. And there's a, there's, a, there's a path for that. Yeah, I think Zach hit it on the head right there. If you're, you know, utilizing your, you know, 16th, 17th round draft pick, hoping for gold from a Nate Pearson, that's just much more of an uncomfortable bet than going for a Jackson Coar or possibly a Nick Lodolo, guys that I think are going to potentially get into the rotation and you're spending a 42nd round pick in those draft and holds. So that's kind of the, the bet that I'm willing to make more so just to ensure I'm getting innings early. Because I can see it more in that draft and hold, because again, I think that the rounds 41 through 50 really matter in that. Like, I think you just have more depth and, and it, you can, you can take on a little more, you know, zero risk, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. See that the problem, the problem I'll give you, a per, I'll give you an example of what happened to me last year. And uh, not to say that I would, I would have corrected it drafting perfectly in hindsight, but I was, I was, gra- I, I was grabbing in some drafts. I'd have Gore, Pearson, and Spencer Howard. So you're fucked. But um, it's it's also a domino effect because where you're drafting them, if you're drafting them in the 300s or 400s or 500s, like you could, like like you're saying, like some of the prospects, some of the other prospects this year, like Matt Manning, you can get him in like 450, 500. Okay, that's fine. Um, but I'm actually passing up on players like Bundy, Trent Grisham. Um, players I could have had that could have stabled my roster. And the domino effect is now I'm, I have, say, Mackenzie Gore on my team, and I don't have Trent Christian. I have, um, I'm trying to think of an example, um, Tyler O'Neill. Great. Now I'm double fucked, <laughs> right? And that, that, was, that was an exact instance um, what happened to me last year in, in one of my drafts. I had Mackenzie Gore and Tyler O'Neill. That hurts. Yeah. So that's the lesson. That, so, uh, sorry, Lucas, were you going to say something? I was about to say that feeling that we just experienced is what happens when you draft Tyler O'Neill. So, <laughs> <laughs> although he did win gold glove, he is Canadian. So, it's, um, that's you guys stick together. Uh, would you draft just based on where a player's from? Well, I just assume uh, you Canadians stick together. I assume you have Joey Votto on every team uh-huh. and, uh, and, and, and Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah, book it. <laughs> Summer 69, baby. All right. So um, before we get into our um, main discussion on marginal utility, I told you guys that I want to hit the floor for a second because I was listening to Phil today 
his little segment on his robot segment on the Full Hater podcast. He talked about Trevor Bauer. Um, I've also had Phil on the podcast with Toby, um, and we talked about Bauer, and I've heard Toby talk about um, Bauer, and specifically with this um, three-two count. So I want to get. I'm going to talk for a bit, but I want to get you guys' thoughts on this to tell me if there's anything that um, if this um, triggers anything for you guys. So. Um, um, so basically to summarize what Phil said, uh, just for, uh, for anyone that hadn't, that hasn't listened, because I haven't, I haven't listened to the podcast yet. I just listened to that little snippet and I, I love that robot segment because, uh, it's just awesome. Um, so what he said was Bowers K minus walk and won't do, I won't do the robot voice was, um, K, K minus walk percentage was negative 12, negative 17, eight, negative eight, negative three, and then jumped to 36%. And that's going from 2015 to 2020. So most recently, he's got a 36% K minus walk on a full count, which is way higher than um, typical and um, way higher than any of his other years. And then he also uh, noted other top performers. Other top performers last year were Please Zach DeGrom, Zach Davies, Bieber, um, Marco Gonzalez, and Granke. So essentially, he concludes that uh, Bauer was clutch and hence lucky. Um, I agree um, with what he said, but uh, I wanted to look under the hood a little bit, a little bit more because it interested me. So I wanted to look at Bauer from 2017 to 2020. I just threw out um, 2015 and 16 because I feel like he's evolved as a pitcher. So I can just throw out those, those first two years. Um, um, I don't really care to, uh, to look at that too much. Um, and, it, and it's just simpler because you're looking at four years instead of six. Um, so the first thing I looked at is if this could be skewed by runners being on base, particularly first base being the base occupied, it would cause you to pitch differently uh, in a full count and also um, the number of outs. Um, so what I found from that is nothing. I found um, there like nothing conclusive from that. Um, but going back to 2017, his swinging strike rate on full counts was 17%, 18%, 19%, and 24%. So this is evidence that he did – deserve his highest K minus walk percent, but not by that much. So his 24% swinging strike rate was better. Um, he was getting better maybe. Uh, for comparison, league average was 21% in full counts. So league average swinging strike percentage was higher on full counts than it was overall. Um, and Bauer was a little bit higher than that average. So my next question was, um, were batters taking more pitches? Um, the league average take rate in 2020 on full counts was 29%. Bowers was 29 in those in those years Bowers was 29 34 30 32 so he was pretty much well within the norms of when when there was a full count players were taking pitches at about a, an average rate um, so after that I looked at the, the percentage of pitches that um, not swung at that were called strikes so so takes that ended up being strikes rather than balls and full counts so the league average in 2000 in 2000 was 21 percent so of all the pitches thrown in a full count that weren't swung at, 21% were strikes. And that kind of makes sense because you're protecting, right? So you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't expect more to be, um, more to be um, strikes. In over those years, Bowers was 39%, 23%, 24%. And in 2020, it was 65%. Bingo, there it is. So a huge percentage of his pitches that were not swung for ended up being strikes. So maybe he's more deceptive. People, those strikes are just coming in. This was the second highest percentage in the majors among full-time starters last year. Guess who was first? 
Any guesses? Bieber. Yeah. Please, Zach. Zach uh -huh. was first. 71%. Third was Granke. All of those are on the robot list of the players that he listed. Marco Gonzalez was also extremely high on this list. D Zach Davies actually performed really poorly in getting uh, the called strikes, in getting the, the called strikes, but he had a 36% swinging strike rate on full counts, which is well above his typical swinging strike rate. Bieber and DeGrom performed well due to their swinging strike rate being elite and also being slightly above average on the called strikes. Bieber ranked fourth among starters with a full count um, in, swinging strike rate, in swinging strike rate at 39%. Um, Framber Valdez and Dylan Bundy were ahead of him in that swinging strike rate on full counts at 43 and 44%. There's an enormous outlier here on the swinging strike rate and for full, in full counts, Joe Musgrove. He had a 71% swinging strike rate on full counts. That's a little tidbit to dig into later. I'm not getting into it now, but no one was even close. Like I said, the next best was 44% Dylan Bundy. So um, maybe it's a small sample size, but something, something was going on there that um, I don't know about. But conversation for another time. Let's get back to the 65% uh, nonsense here. This is pretty clutch. I, I, wanna, I don't want to forget to remind everyone that Plezak may have been clutch and lucky, clutch slash lucky too on this because his was 71%. But again, um, I don't want to get too much off topic here. So looking at the game day zones on Savant, so that the game day zones, you know, like the one through nine, I think I was asking you, this is why I was asking you about this earlier, Derek. Mm -hmm. um, so one through nine, if it's one through nine, then it's a strike. And if it's, if it's like a 11 through 19, it's technically a ball. So what, um, what you'll see for Bauer in 2020, four of his 13 called strikeouts were actually pitches that were technically outside of the zone. None of his walks were inside the zone. So like on the, on the con conversely, none of his walks were actually strikes. So what this, so what this really means is that 65% of the pitches that were laid off of that 65% really should have been 49%, which is still very high, but not nearly as high. So that would bring his K minus walk um, percentage on full counts down from 35.8% to a more reasonable 24.5%. So yes, there, it is proof that he was lucky. Robot is always right, but is this sustainable? Gold glove um, Tucker Barnhart says maybe it is with his 77% framing rate, right? Um, but it was likely that Bauer was being very clutch or luckily, lucky in this small sample size versus a condensed population of teams where, his, where 24 of his 27 strikeouts on full counts came against four pretty bad teams, Milwaukee, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City. So 24 of his 27 strikeouts on full counts came against those four crappy teams. The schedule was cake. We can't forget that. So something, nothing. Was that interesting at all? You know that gif of I think it's from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the guy is like, he's he's got like a, it's like a conspiracy. People use it for like conspiracy theory. He's got like a string <laughs> going everywhere. And it's like, yeah. and he's like at the market. I felt a little bit like that because it's just that's like just a ton going on. But it is one of those things you can't look at what he did and go, yeah, he's gonna do that. Like 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 this this one thing that's like a complete outlier from every like not everything he's done before, but, but even better than his best season um, that he did in, you know, 75, 80 innings. I don't have his innings, 73 innings. Like that, that's definitely it. It's like, you can't, you just can't lean into that because again, like 
what you're talking about, like, I don't think you'd notice, like this wouldn't happen over 200 innings. Like this, this would even out so much more over 200 innings versus this 73 inning sample. Like, I mean, Bieber's the same way, police act the same way. Like, don't get me wrong, like Bieber's good. And like, like he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good next year. But like even his, like you look at like his season was an outlier. Like you can't project something like that to happen. Like you're not going to project what he did in his 75 innings for him to do that again. Like it's just, it's just so good. Um, Bauer just has farther to fall back as far as I look at it. Yeah. So I think what, I think what I take of it is it's small sample size. And I think it's schedule. I think that that's the central, right? I think, I think Bauer had a really easy schedule. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from these pitchers, but a lot of these pitchers are come, come from the central. I think you got, you got Plezak, Bieber. A lot of these are also really good pitchers as well. So you'd expect them to, to have that. But um, I think it's a small sample and, um, and the schedule and um, yeah, a little bit of clutchness. And um, I, I think the biggest thing that I came that I brought, that, that came out of this is that Musgrove stat. Yeah, that was insane. I think if, you, I think if we're freaking out over, over Bauer um, having a, 35.8% swing um, uh, K minus walk percentage on full counts. I think we can equally freak out on Musgrove having a 71% swinging strike rate on full counts. <laughs> I wonder how many full counts he had. He only pitched 40 innings. I can tell but... you, I, I have, I think I have it up here. He had um, 24. Um, yeah. I mean like, which is low, which is low I mean, for starters. He didn't pitch a lot of innings. So, yeah. Right, this is the thing. So, it's like, you know, a, a few full counts swinging one way, and all of a sudden, like, that number looks really high, right? I mean, like, that's like 16. Yeah, it's a small sample size. Yeah. Same with Bauer, right? So, it's, it's like if we're going to say that Bauer's success is um, somewhat predicated on these small sample sizes, then we, I think we should also say that on Musgrove. Maybe it's an obvious um, assessment, but I think um, an equally valid one. Man, people love Joe Musgrove. He's a guy I don't have much of. Not a share. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, Musgrove, I don't, I don't mind him. But, um, again, he's a guy that's getting pushed up a lot like Gosman. So um, let's get into the marginal utility. I'll tell you, so marginal utility. So a couple – I think this is actually two distinct um, ideas, and we're going to kind of talk about, talk about them combined and a little bit separate. Um, so economists, when they're trying to – they're trying to measure consumer behavior, try and, dis, try and determine how they think uh, consumers will, will react to a certain thing. Um, they use this term called utility. And, and what utility is, uh, in, in an economic sense, is the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a definition, uh, the usefulness or value that a consumer derives from experiencing or purchasing a product. It's from the perspective of the consumer, and it's about how they feel about a product, not necessarily how valuable uh, in dollars that product is it, it's it's a it's kind of a subjective to some extent the way that um the what that consumer will do for that product or or what they're willing to uh or how that that again how that influences them so that's utility and then marginal is something you'll hear a lot but it's just the difference so it's the, it's 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 the difference between uh this thing and the next that's the margin so in 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 the way it's used in economics we're talking about marginal utility generally speaking you're talking about the difference between two options so it's like uh this one option uh, what is the marginal utility between option one and option two between buying, you know, one thing or buying a second of that thing, or maybe buying two separate things. And we, they kind of try to use that to determine the way, uh, the way that, uh, people act. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. And so 
so I, I think for our conversation, we're kind of using marginal utility. We're using marginal utility in a couple of different ways, partially in, in the sense of like the way people perceive value, right? What they, the, the way um, we talk about the, the, what the consumer derives in this case, the fantasy owner derives from something, but also we're talking about um, in some cases, we're not just talking about, we're actually talking about real values. Like what's the marginal actual value um, between two things. So we're gonna kind of use this, I think as an opportunity to do both. Uh, but but no, in economics, the, they're not necessarily tied together. Right. So do you want to want to go through some of the examples? Uh, yeah. Start, maybe start high level in terms of not actually getting into the fantasy game, but getting into like actually your your like um, portfolio of leagues. Um, yep. So I think one of the things that me and you discussed offline, or we're, we're going back and forth on, is um, the marginal utility of doing um, fantasy research. Uh, yeah. Like. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, you have this diminishing return, right? And Zach, I mean, you talked about it earlier. How long, how long did you spend digging into the uh, the Trevor Bauer stuff? You lost how much of your life? Yeah, probably like an hour. And and you know more than you did before, but do you know enough to justify the hour you spent doing it? Is that the question? I guess the economic question, is that going to dictate consumer behavior <laughs> um, of, um, in my fantasy leagues? And the answer is no. It's the, like I spent an hour and my marginal utility was probably close to zero. Right. Um, you, you didn't get a lot of benefit. It's not, it's not that it wasn't the information I got wasn't that you right. over and above what Phil, Phil, what Phil said in one minute was way, way, way more useful than what I said in like five minutes. Right. And sometimes you have to dig that. I think you have to you dig into that to find that. Um, something else you noted, um, doing your own projections. So, you know, one thing, and I've heard, you know, this isn't unique. You know, it's not like I come up with this or anything like that. But like, you know, steamer, uh, for all the problems that people have with like a steamer projection system, it's going to get you 80% or, eight, you know, it's going to get you like a majority of the way to a projection. And so the question is like, how much, you know, is it worth doing your own projections to try and squeeze an extra 10% or an extra, you know, 20%? And like, how much time would you have to invest to get that extra 10%? Um, even if you can 100% be certain that you are getting that extra 10%. Like, that's a good example of something where you, you as a fantasy analyst have to decide, like, is the value I'm getting from this greater than the value I'm putting into it? And you, yeah, you'll hear you'll hear you'll hear analysts say, "Well, um, I use projection systems, but I'm I'll let somebody way smarter than me do it." Mm -hmm. and, and these and these analysts are smart people themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think that's I don't think that's actually true that the person doing the, the projection system is actually smart a smarter individual. But it's just it's what their skill set is, and and mm -hmm. and that analyst is better at um, interpreting um, trends um, of the player and, and, and digging into the player rather than doing the actual projections. It's the same thing as, as me, like the marginal utility of me repairing my car is going to be very, very little because I'm not good at it. And it's going to take me 10 hours where the marginal utility of somebody at the car shop to, to fix my car is going to be positive because they're going to get paid for it. And you're going to do it 10, 10 or 50 times quicker than I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other thing we, we were talking about before we get into the actual um, fantasy game is um, number of leagues you're in. So what, what's, the, what's the marginal utility of adding another league to your portfolio? And I, what I told you is I think it really makes, it really matters what type of league it is. Yep. So for best balls, I would argue, and you can 
you can, you can tell me what you think. I would say that each, each best ball league that you add is actually, now that I think about it, is actually increasing your marginal utility because you have some economies of scale um, in terms of um, leveraging um, ADP that you like seeing trends. So I think the more you do, I think that the more you benefit. Whereas the draft champions, I think the more you do, the less you benefit because your time setting those lineups uh, and actually in-season management gets, gets more um, spread more thin. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, with, with, with a DC, you have a cost as well as a benefit, right? Like uh, in time, you have time that you have to, you have to attribute to that league versus the best ball. It's just that upfront time. And then, you know, you've already done all the research you are, you know, the more of them you do, the more skilled, you, well, hopefully the more knowledge you acquire about the, um, the format, right? If you become an expert in the format, that means, you know, you're actually that time you're investing becomes uh, a better investment because you're spreading it out over, over more dollars. So, you know, it's, it's like your, your, you know, I don't know, hours invested per league decrease as the number of leagues you do increase. Uh, but I do, yeah, it is interesting. I think the the formula, if you're, you know, which is, it's, it's funny because ec economists are, I took, you know, a couple of economics classes in college and it's like, you know, the formulas they're trying to assign to something that seems so subjective, but like the reality is like there is, you know, you can kind of sit down and go like, what is this worth to me to do this extra DC? Like, how is this going to affect totally. my life? Like, <laughs> totally, Because especially those, those best balls, they all take almost exactly the same amount of time. To right. do, like in theory. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so What's next? So like when you get it, when you're actually getting into these drafts, there's, there's the concept of marginal utility that's still floating around. I guess one of the, the, the good example, a good example that we can use is in, in those best ball formats or, or in any format, what's the marginal utility of drafting your second first baseman versus drafting a third first baseman? So does the marginal utility of that player diminish? And I think the answer is obviously yes. Yeah. It definitely does. It is interesting to see how much it diminishes relative to other positions. I did some research, uh, I think this was before the 2020 draft, uh, but I can't remember if it was before 2020, before 2019, but found that like certain positions, um, that margin of utility is actually higher at the third, you know, so the third first baseman versus the third second baseman, like there's there, you can get down to like concrete numbers as to like the marginal utility that, that, that the team's got from having a third second baseman versus a third first baseman. Uh, and when you're dealing with scarce roster positions, like those are the kind of things that can really, you, you can really matter. Should I be, should I get a 17th pitcher or do I need another batter? Should I be getting a 10th outfielder or do I need a third first baseman? Um, kind of thinking through those and looking at, you know, great thing about best ball is clean projections. So it's, it's not like Roto where you're trying to think through like, well, okay, this guy gives me this stat, but then hurts me here. Mm -hmm. Like in best ball, it's just one number. It's like a war, you know, it's, it, you know, you can just, you can almost just boil it down to a, above replacement. Um, but it's one of those things like you have to be thinking about that. You know, if you take a second first baseman in the 10th round, what are you giving up? Like, you know, what value am I getting above what other option I could have chosen at that point? Right. Um, one thing I think this helps too is if we're, if we're talking about consumer behavior is the market. So this is a big, like we talk about ADP, which is really just, you know, it, ADP is the market, right? That's what, what other people are, are have in historically paid for, for a player or for a price. You know, I agree with you that on that. Right. Yeah. Like, and so, um, 
So if we want to try and in drafts use what we know about the market to try and predict the behavior that people were drafting with, like that can help us as we're kind of like mapping out um, what we want to do in a draft. Um, so for examples, like knowing um, in, in the main event, like you need to know that market and understand that like the, the people drafting there, like they get more value out of, they see more value in high end pitchers, right. In, in elite pitchers. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, that should dictate the way you're planning your draft. Now we know that like people talk about that, you know, kind of, I think that's talked about a lot, but I think some other examples of that that aren't as talked about is like uh, sexy sleepers, right? Like, okay, we talk about, yes, they, they move up the draft, but like when you're drafting, like how conscious of you are you in a given round of going, look, I think this guy goes so I can go in a different direction. Like if this guy is coming up, then who's falling down mm -hmm. um, and things like that. And so you're, again, you're just trying to think people are perceiving more value in these sleepers, you know, wide awake sleepers, whatever, than what, than what you think is actually there. So that, that gives you some better understanding of what they're going to do. Um, so I think that's something, um, veteran fatigue. Um, I think people get tired of old guys. They, uh, they, you know, like Nelson Cruz is a great example. And I've been guilty of this myself. It's like, well, it's just this guy who's just been doing this for however long. And yet someday he's going to stop doing it, but he hasn't yet. And so we continue to, um, just, I think to some extent, be, you just get tired of players. Um, and the market, even, you know, they just don't get it. It's not as cool to draft it. Like you, you don't get that feeling after you've drafted a guy. Yeah. If he's not that sexy guy. Nelson Cruz bias, right? right yeah. Right. I mean, like <laughs> it's its own, I'm pretty sure that's an economic bias. I think I read about it the other day. I think Nolan Arenado certainly fits that bucket of voter yeah. fatigue. Like you see with, you know, LeBron James would, would win the MVP every mm -hmm. year, but the people just get sick of the same thing. So absolutely on the veteran discount bias. And it's, and it's not like that's a hidden, like we know, I do think, yeah. you know, you, you kind of go, okay, well that can just help you tell more about, about, again, about the people around you and trying to understand what you think they're going to do uh, to try and get more info. Right. Um, I think one, one thing that I, that I, um, that I think about when I, when I think about um, utility, marginal utility is what's the, what's the marginal utility of um, the next player up in your rankings um, at a certain position mm -hmm. you look at say like I use the example here like if you're drafting Darvish in round two do you look at Darvish versus like say Gallon in round three or you look at Darvish versus say like a waiver wire so like where how are you calculating that marginal utility based on that next pick or based off of like your last pick so I, I think you I think we talked before I think you you more use the, the last pick and I think um I think if you really want to get precise about it and, and optimize your draft, I think you do have to look at both. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that you, you know, you're, it's always, you know, wherever you set your floor. So, you know, we were talking about replacement value and, and when I do, when I do my projections for best balls, I use the last player drafted at any given position or what I think the last player drafted at a given position as the floor for my replacement value, because, you can't replace players, right? So, so, so the draft pool is it. Um, now, some people may have a different approach on that, but, but even when, no matter where your floor is, you know, when you're making a decision on one player to the next player, you're making a decision on how valuable is this player relative to that other player I could have taken, right? The, of the opportunity cost of that other player, and you should be like those numbers need to be comparable, even if they're different positions with different floors. Um, you know, you have to have that relative of that that guy you could have taken at that pick as opposed to just saying, well, I know he's 
$18 more valuable than the last player at that pick. Like I need to know how that compares to some other player or another position in that same round or something like that. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a relatively simple concept. I mean, it's really, it really, you know, it's just a way of trying to think through choices and, 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 you know, the perceived benefit or actual benefit of this choice versus another choice uh, and how that kind of dictates the way we, we do things. We did have some follow-up questions on Twitter from, from Graham. Graham had one question. He said, if you find yourself with a valuable ask, a valuable ask, I think he means asset. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming he means ass. Yeah. Says, yeah. You got some valuable ass on your hands, um, but negative utility to your roster. Um, is it okay to sell low? How do you deal with trade negotiations this type in, in dynasty leagues um, where you lack leverage due to the apparent lack of utility an asset has to you? So I think my quick answer, I'll, I'll give you guys, both of you guys the floor after. Like, usually there's others that have negative um, utility as well. So you, you wouldn't be the only one with that negative utility. So you want to maybe target. Um, so say you have like in his example, say you have like an aging star that's, that's valuable. You have like, you had like a, a Cano last year before, before he went AWIRE or went AWOL. Um, you, you could sell them to a team that, ha- that, that has a bunch of 32 year olds and um, really has a bunch of prospects that are just burning a hole in his bench because they're not, he's, he's in the window of competitive net, competitive, competitiveness now. And so those prospects on, on, his, on his roster are negative utility for him as well. So you can find um, sort of uh, an equilibrium there. I think from my perspective, I always think like the only thing that should matter to you as an owner is how is the value to you. So like all that matters is that your team is better before than after. So like, I don't, I'm not overly concerned if uh, the other owners think that it's a sell low or quite frankly, I'm not concerned about appearing like I won the deal. Um, If the value to my team went up after the trade at an amount that I'm happy with, then I'm 100% doing that. Uh, and I think the same way in a draft, like, you know, it's okay to take an asset that other people think is not good. If you think it, your team becomes better, um, you know, to, to what your standard is, uh, because of it. Right. And then he had, he had a follow-up question. He said, ignorant follow-up, are there stat methods to quantify utility in best ball? Yes. <laughs> um, I think it, touched on that. yeah, I would say definitely. Um, I mean, you know, you, Replacement value is, I think best ball is the easiest place to use replacement value. You don't have to use Z scores. You don't have to get crazy. Like you can just, you can set the pool. Uh, you like, it's one number. Um, and so you can get an idea of what uh, each player is worth. Um, you know, I think easier than quite frankly, any other format. And you can get an idea of what a player is worth relative to other uh, players. Now, one thing that that is harder to get, and, and I, I, try to share when I can is the, is the research after the fact. So you can go, you can do what you think projections wise, but after the fact, what actually happened, um, I think is harder, harder to get. So, you know, sometimes you just don't have the sample size. So I try to share, um, cause I do a lot of de- detailed stuff on the leagues that I have data for. So, um, and try and share the, what I found there, excuse me, as far as, uh, what um you know what the additional benefits are for certain for certain strategies well that, that about wraps things up for us how, how do we do in terms i think of we made a pretty tight hour and a half was it was it about an hour and a half i think so we we're about eight thirty eight forty ish eight 
eight forty-five when we started my time. I'll I'll i kill or no filler. So uh, before we go, um, Lucas, anything anything that you want to say before um, we get off or the, we get off the air? Sorry, I don't want I didn't want to make it sound. Getting. <laughs> well, you already did, so the damage has been done. But no, I think. Uh, hey, you'd rather do that than a mock draft, right? Yeah, I, th- I think we need to get linked <laughs> up for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we need to hit up one of these best balls as a group and and kind of get a fifteen team or best ball going and just kind of see what happens. So. Hey, these guys okay. are always desperate to get us into these in, in, uh, to fill up these best balls. We're the we're the we're the fish. So um, let's get into the best ball uh, best ball tens, fan tracks, or what? What do you what do you need? Where do you need us to join, Derek? Uh, <laughs> I tell you, the fan tracks ones are filling. It, it's apparently the. Uh, Phil's always begging people to join those uh, the one fifties over an NFBC. I know I, 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 I caved and joined one of those, but those are the that's the big money. I refuse to be suckered into that. It's like oh, I'll wait, Phil. I'll wait till you're in the main events, then I'll I'll start jumping in the the one fifties. <laughs> but uh, well, hey, you know we can get a best ball filled. It, you know they don't uh, they're uh, they're mostly twelve teamers, so it's a little little wimpy compared to the depth of league you guys do, um, but. Uh, I feel like I feel like the twelve teamers are, are are difficult. Honestly, I I'm a fifteen team kind of guy, and I did the online championship last year. And it's, it's you're looking at it, you're like, well, Randall Grichik has five games this week, and you know you're gonna have to cut him for you know DJ Stewart because he's got a double header with COVID. He's got eight. <laughs> games. So just like I'm just not ready to do that. I'm more of a set it and forget it, evaluate after six weeks kind of guy. But yeah, last season was particularly tough. I think. I think anytime yeah. you bounce back between uh, league sizes, like I like even like like cut line is ten is ten uh, teams per league, and it's just like what the heck? Like I don't even mm. like it's just, just like this this roster pool is so shallow. It's like you know uh, I can't imagine trying to bounce back between like a fifteen and then a ten or something like that. Like Lucas Barry Plocks thirty three. I'm not even gonna ask. Got it. Um, and then Doctor Ho. Dr. Hoa three. Yeah. Jagfantasysports.com. Get, uh, check out the injury timeline. Check, yeah, check out the, um, the, uh, best ball draft tools. Five bucks. Uh, I'm trying to make it so people can't say no. You can't. (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us guys. And, um, we'll get, we'll get into a best ball, uh, soon. Let me know what, let me know when and where you guys join. I'll, I'll, I'll get into the next one. Sounds good, fellas. Appreciate it. All right. Take it easy, guys.